0: Okay, tonight we're going to discuss the books of Maccabees, Maccabees 1 and 2, and we'll discuss the story of Matityahu, Mattathias, and the story of Judah Maccabee up until the rededication of the temple, so basically from the years 167 through 164. Um, Maccabees 3 and 4 are done in Egypt? or uh, unrelated, Unrelated, unrelated. Okay, the Jews of the Second Commonwealth were accustomed to living pious lives under foreign rule. And the first ever anti-Judaic persecutions were in 167. Uh, Surprisingly, the Jews won the war. So how do you explain the fact that the Jews were persecuted religiously and that they won? Was this the fulfillment of some kind of prophecy? Maybe. So, An author needs to tell the story with theological clarification. So there needs to be some book that explains why was there anti-religious persecution, and why did the good guys win. The first book of Maccabees glorifies the Hasmonean family from Matityahu up until John Hyrcanus. So, three, uh, actually four, genera- uh, three generations of uh, virtuous people who led the Jew- uh, the Jews in battle uh, against their enemies. Prior to Matityahu, the Pietists felt compelled not to rebel as a way of fulfilling the Torah. The the Torah demands uh, uh, political quietism. Also, don't fight on Shabbos. Matityahu uh, rejects that approach, as we shall see, because it gets everybody killed, and how will the nation survive if everyone suffers a martyr's death by not fighting against the enemy? And so he changes the rules. The first book of Maccabees, which sees Matityahu as as a hero, uh, compares or draws parallels between him and various other biblical heroes. For example, Pinchas. Both Matityahu and Pinchas arrive on the scene at a time of God's wrath against Israel. Both saw that nothing was being done, so they rise up from the, the congregation in murderous anger and zeal for the sake of God. And the assumption is that both are rewarded with the priest, the high priestly line. So this idea that there's a a ketzef or a Chema, there's a wrath of God, the Af, the anger of God, whether it's because uh, Zimri is having relations with Kazbi Batzur, uh, sexual uh, misdeeds and idolatry in the days of the wilderness, or Hellenization in the days of the Greeks. Someone has to stand up and do something about it, something violent, then kill in the name of God. So Pinchas does it, Matityahu does it. Pinchas is rewarded at Briti Shalom with a covenant of peace and Brit Kahunat Olam, a perpetual priesthood. So, what about Matitiau? Also, he's rewarded with the priesthood. This is a polemical point, because remember that the Tzadokites held the high priesthood for eight centuries. It was usurped from them by those who bribed Antiochus for the office. But after those usurpers are gone, who takes the high priesthood? The Chashmonaim, the family of the Maccabees. By what right do they have it? No right. Unless you say that Matityahu, like Pinchas, was rewarded by God for his act of zeal. So there's, a, there's an agenda to comparing him to Pinchas. The book of Maccabees, the first book of Maccabees we shall see soon, was written by pro-Hazmanian, a pro hasmonean author. The second book of Maccabees was written by an anti hasmonean author. So they're at odds with each other, and we're going to see which one was written first and when exactly uh, it, they were composed and why.
1: When the pot was cooking, whether <coughs> they were to be included in the, in the Tanakh or yeah. not, would both have been included or only one of
0: the two? So there never was an issue of including them, because the first one wasn't written for... Um, in the style uh, that would get it into the Bible, and theologically it's at odds with what the rabbis believe about the afterlife, so it was, it, there was no way it was getting in, aside from the fact that the rabbis soured on the Hasmoneans to an extent, and this was a pro Hasmonean book. And the, as for the second one, although theologically it was, in fa- uh, it was uh, akin to what the rabbis believed in, it was going to be kept out because they didn't have the Hebrew since the Hebrew was suppressed. The Hasmoneans suppressed any anti, any anti-Hasmonean tract, so it ended up surviving in the Chutzlart in the Greek, but not in the Hebrew in Israel. And so, if it was only in the Greek, it wasn't going to make it into the Jewish Bible. Correct. Okay. So Matityahu is like Pinchas He's also compared to Yehoshua and Kalev. All others rebel, like all the other twelve, the twelve spies, the, the ten bad spies, rebel against God. Uh, but they are with God, and thus they are rewarded. Just like Yeshua and Kalev were the only ones to survive the, the, the period of the midbar to go to Eretz Israel, so too something good is going to happen to Matityahu, that his people, his family, will survive the persecutions and emerge unscathed. Also there are parallels to David, because David has a flight to the mountains follow, and followed by a massacre of innocents. Um, when does that happen in David's time? He's on the run from Saul, and he goes to Nov-ir-Kohanim, Nov, the city of priests. Where he, what does he get? He gets some food and he gets the sword of Goliath. Then he runs to the mountains and is like a fugitive. What happens to the city of Novir Kohanim? They get killed. Okay? Doeg has them all killed. Same thing uh, here. There's a, a flight to the mountains. He runs away from Yishalayim to Modi'in and from Modi'in into, the, into the, to the Sumerian highlands. And those who were not willing to fight are all slaughtered.
1: Is there any comparison, <coughs> for example, David against Goliath? small against the yes. big guy. Yes. The
0: the, the, we, the weak against the yeah. against the strong. It's another comparison. Okay. Um, but also the notion that a fugitive bandit fights for Israel and legislates on behalf of Israel just like David would do. Okay. A parallel to Abraham and that he's ready to sacrifice his offspring. That Matityahu has five sons and what happens to those five sons? They all die. I mean, some of them die uh, a, a, a glorious death in battle. Others die ignominious deaths at the hands of political rivals or of their own family. But they all die having fought the good fight for the sake of Am Yisrael. Um, how else is he similar to, to Abraham? In that deeds of faith are held up as righteousness. Where does it say that in the Torah about Abraham? The Hamin Bashem, Vaya that Abraham believed in God's promises despite their non fulfillment at that point, and God held it for him as a righteousness that he was a believer. So to Matityahu, So what is that reward? You could argue the reward is that his family became the high priest. Okay. There's a parallel to Joseph in that he resisted temptation and becomes the progenitor of imperial lords, that Yosef doesn't sin with the wife of Potiphar, uh, despite being quite tempting, and Matityahu doesn't sin in the case of sacrificing the pig at Modi'in, even though the Seleucid officers say, if you do this, we will make you a regional commander, we'll we'll appoint you to a position of significance, in the the Syrian-Greek administration, he refuses. The reward? His people become uh, kings. Okay, First Maccabees is of the opinion that we shall not make a covenant with Gentiles in cultural or religious matters, that military deals are fine, but that the Greeks are basically evil and perfidious, and that the good goyim are the Romans and the Spartans. Uh, Why the Romans and the Spartans? Because they happened to have made a deal with the Hasmoneans, and they kept up there and did a deal, at least in in those generations. Uh, the author of 1 Maccabees does not believe in immortality or resurrection, and the author accepted that prophecy ended with Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, so there are no prophetic statements issued, and no overt miracles. This is in stark contrast to 2 Maccabees, which claims a whole lot of overt miracles, which may be a reason why it was rejected, because if you can't substantiate things that were were claimed about the recent past, that are so fantastic you have no choice but to reject it. In other words, it's one thing to believe in Kriya Syamsif that happened 3,000 years ago, but it's quite another thing to believe that, you know, uh, there was Kriya's East River last week. I mean, if it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and you can't put that book in the Bible. Okay. Okay.
1: was the Pak Shemin in Maccabees?
0: No, no, Pak Shemin is much later. We'll talk about why Pak Shemin exists uh, later this evening. So, there, there is never a claim that specific biblical prophecies have been fulfilled in the, in the Hasmonean period, but the choice of language hints at this being uh, true. In other words, there are prophecies from Daniel and from Isaiah and from uh, other apocalyptic works that are not in our Bible... That if you read them and then you read what happens in Maccabees, it sounds like the prophecy was fulfilled, but the author never directly says that. Why? It's a safe play. You never want to, uh, you know, tip your hand too far, because what happens if so- if some future event undermines that supposed fulfillment of prophecy? Then you look foolish. So, yes, there are there there, there is the fulfillment, but it's never expressly stated. What else is missing? The name of God is entirely missing from, the, from this book. Rather, God is referred to as Shemaim as heaven. Why is that the case? So there are two possible explanations. One is because this book was not intended as sacred scripture to be treated with respect, and so people would, you know, would handle it improperly, and you don't want to have God's name on a scroll that's being handled improperly. Or the author of Maccabees being something of a rationalist, Uh, did not believe in the use of God's names or divine names for mystical healing or for fighting wars against your enemies through amulets and and, and, and usage, real usage of the name of God, other than saying the name of God. And so, therefore, he kept the name out.
1: Could you make the same case for the book of Esther?
0: You can. Uh, I mean, I would argue in the case of the book of Esther, it's it's more the first issue of uh, the treatment of the scroll, and you could say the rabbinic answer of God's, yeah. hit, you know, Hester Panim. Uh, I don't think it's so much an issue of uh, magical healing powers or, or fighting the enemy with God's name. I, I don't think that was an issue then. Okay. Um, the original text was written in an elegant Hebrew, but it was lost. And we only have the Greek version. So how do we know it was written in an elegant Hebrew? Because the translator used the Jewish-Greek syntax of the tagum Shavvim of, of the translation of the seventy, which gives a word-for-word exact translation, which is of very poor literary quality, but at least you can figure out with precision what the original Hebrew was. I took a
1: course on this, in why you would should come If you remember who he was, and he said that if you took the Greek and you would, it was very easy to reconstruct it. Correct. The you can reconstruct the Hebrew. And yeah. That's what the that, that's
0: what gave it its credibility as a Hebrew document. Right. So, um, now the original Hebrew was probably available to Josephus and to some of the early church fathers, but by the 4th century, the common era disappeared and we don't know what happened to it. Okay. Some claim that the uh, the importance of Yehoi which was the uh, clan, the Kohanic clan from which the, the Maccabees descended... Uh, which appears prominently in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the book of Chronicles, is due to a Hasmonean interpolation, meaning that after the book of Maccabees was written, extolling the virtues of the Hasmoneans, later some redactor went back to earlier books of the Bible and snuck in the family of Yeriv in a prominent place just to make the Maccabees look like they come from illustrious yichus, when in fact they came from nobodies. We'll see geographically that's also an issue in the book of Maccabees as well. Where did they really live? Uh, what, 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 what town were they from? Um, some claimed Matityahu was an arch sinner for his radical reinterpretations of the Torah 2nd Maccabees is of that opinion what do we say about Hitler Yemach Shemo Ve Zichro that doesn't make any sense whatsoever why?
1: because you don't remember him how are you going to disdain him
0: if you're going to say his name you're not erasing his name so in the ancient days in the ancient world they took Yemach Shemo literally so Lahavdil Matityahu was regarded as a sinner his name doesn't appear in the 2nd Maccabees Yemach Shemo it's not there also in 1st Maccabees the names of Jason and Menelaus who were seen as the arch sinners do not appear we know the, the names of these figures because we have multiple sources to work with 2 different books of Maccabees plus Josephus and, and, and other sources but in that one source Whoever that author felt was a, 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 an illegitimate figure, his name was gone. Yemach <laughs> We have that with Amalek. We make a big deal about
1: embracing the name Amalek, Yeah, we all say, but it's a mitzvah, and we repeat it. We <laughs> yeah, so there's a, certain, there's, there's a degree
0: of absurdity to the whole thing. Got it. Okay, so, Maccabees number one um, never uses the term Chashmonai to refer to the family dynasty. It was merely the, the additional name of Matityahu himself, just as Maccabee was the additional name of Judah. All five of the, of the uh, sons of Matityahu had nicknames. Um, only Judah was Maccabeus, and only Matityahu was Chashmonai. Despite that, that has many entitled, but it was applied to the entire family in rabbinic literature, and the name Maccabees was applied to the whole family in the, the literature of the Church Fathers. Uh, and in, in later sort of Zionist literature, uh, we moved away from Chashbanim to Makabim, but really it's just Judah. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the literature, the family was known as the Sarvanei the Kel, those who resist for God. Lesarev means to refuse, to, to resist. But Sarvanei Kel can mean either those who resist for God, or those who resist God. Is it pro or con is it, a, is it a nasty is it a negative term or is it a, is it a favorable term it depends on what, how you want to read it Maccabees 1 would say sarvanei was a positive term they were fighting God's battles Maccabees 2 would say they were a bunch of scoundrels they were, were against God ok um, the, the books of Maccabees use the Seleucid calendar what we, we call in rabbinic literature the minyan the, the shtarot the era of documents The Minyan Shdarot begins in 312 before the Common Era. However, there's actually a disagreement within the Seleucid uh, monarchy, within the Greek world, of when to begin that calendar. Some began in the autumn of 312, others began in the spring of 311. Uh, This is paralleled in the rabbinic dispute in Masechet Rosh Hashanah about what? About Briyasa Olam, exactly. Is the world created in Nisan or is the world created in Tishrei? So, rabbinic literature oftentimes is exactly parallel to machloksim, controversies in in Syrian Greek literature. Okay. Um, (coughs) Okay. The, reading the book of Maccabees cover to cover, the first Maccabees, can sometimes be difficult to reconstruct the chronology because the author of the book will occasionally confuse the two systems, the Babylonian and, and the Macedonian system of this uh, 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 system of counting. Does it begin in autumn of 312 or does it begin in the spring of 311? And the answer is depending upon who wrote the document in question. A lot of the Apocrypha, and for that matter a lot of the book of Ezra and are simply citations of actual documents, it's not composed by the author of the book. It's composed by some bureaucratic official and then they put the document into the text. Well, that might have been written by someone who followed the Babylonian system or the Macedonian system. And so you have uh, things that are at odds with each other in the same written work.
1: What's the significance of the 12-month
0: difference? The six-month difference, you mean. Six-month difference. Uh, different battles uh, corresponding to the, the victory of uh, Seleucus over his... Uh, rivals for the the residual territories of Alexander I mean it, it's, it's just an issue of you know wh- wh- when do we reckon that Seleucus began his reign okay um, the church fathers accepted the second Maccabees into the canon because it was theologically acceptable and they didn't have a problem with the fact that it was written in Greek because after all their whole Bible is in Greek they adopted the 1st Maccabees as uh, part of the Bible, as canonical, even though it doesn't accord with both Jewish and Christian teachings, simply because they assumed if the 2nd Maccabees was kosher, so too 1st Maccabees must also have been kosher. It goes to show you that you have to read something before you judge uh, the quality of a book. Okay. You, mean, you don't think that they vetted it properly? No, like the Syrian refugees, they didn't vetted <laughs> it properly. Okay.
1: Um, don't give Maccabees. <laughs> I have another
0: pun for later tonight. We'll see if anybody gets it. I have another pun for later tonight. We'll see who gets it first. Be on your toes. Maybe. So, now, the 2nd Se- Maccabees was not written originally um, in Hebrew as we have it now. Rather, it was a five volume work written in Hebrew by Jason of Cyrene. That's why last week I said we have to distinguish between Jason the Usurper, who was the high priest, and Jason of Cyrene, the author. We don't have that book anymore in any language. What we have in 2 Maccabees is an abridged version of the five-volume Hebrew work by Jason of Cyrene. So the the abridgment was written in Greek, and later, of course, translated into other languages. But we have the, the, the Greek abridgment.
1: Do we have an idea of what was taken
0: out? No, we have no clue what was taken out.
1: So that immediately undermines the credibility of the book, because what was taken out could have been something that we would... Which is
0: why, it. in general, First Maccabees is more, is regarded as more reliable than Second Maccabees. Okay. Um, the work of Second Maccabees is primarily about Judah and is teeming with overt miracles. So it's not about the generation subsequent to Judah, meaning uh, Jonathan's period, Simon, John Hyrcanus It doesn't go decades into the future. It focuses on the 160s and the period of Yehuda Maccabee. The big hero is Onias III, Chonyo Hashlishi. And Judah's brothers are hardly mentioned. There's an emphasis on the temple and the, and the sacred character of the temple. Uh, Jason the Oniad. the... Uh, who's the brother of, of Onias III, bribes his way into the high priesthood, and we spoke about the rest of the story last week, he petitions that, that, that the Torah be made of, uh, non-binding, that there be Antiochian citizenship, the, the service in the temple was neglected, as the priests preferred the Greek pastimes, Jason ruled for three years, Menelaus gives a bigger bribe, he becomes the high priest, he conspires against uh, Onias to have him assassinated, and the story, as we, as we said it last week, from 169 to 167. Um, mm-hmm. 2 Maccabees shows that Judah and the people were very observant. They kept the Sabbath, and God gave them a victory in merit of the martyrs, of their prayers, and their piety. So being from is a key uh, uh, a factor in Second Maccabees, unlike First Maccabees. Um, Chanukah, according to 2 Maccabees, is modeled after Sukkot. We'll discuss this at length soon and expiatory sacrifices are offered for those fallen sinners meaning those soldiers who died but who had not been living a virtuous life that we could save their souls by offering korbanot in their memory which does sound like the Mormons you're right so there are problems with that but at least it believes in in the soul of the the individual having some kind of existence after this life is over and that you could help it along the way by doing something whether it's saying kaddish or offering a sacrifice (laughs) We get, we do we do things. We believe we can change their fate No alcohol. Okay. So whereas Ma- first Maccabees tried to prove the legitimacy of the Hasmonean dynasty, mm-hmm. second Maccabees showed that Judah and his brothers were ineffective and possibly tainted by sin. Unlike first Maccabees, second Maccabees was written by a Greek Jew, a, not a, a Palestinian Jew, but a Greek Jew who believe that Jews could have good relations, cordial relations with Gentiles, even beyond Roman Sparta, that you could have deals with Syrians, or you could have deals with Greeks. We can get along with everyone, we just have to preserve our religiosity. Uh, Second Maccabees was not intended as sacred scripture, and only was preserved by the church, as I mentioned. Uh, Josephus was a proud descendant of Jonathan the Hasmonean, the brother of Judah Maccabee, his successor. So later in life, Josephus was a convinced Pharisee and believed in the afterlife. He believed that Daniel chapter 7 through 12 were real prophecy and he valued martyrdom. So Josephus presented a pro hasmonean rebuttal of J- to Jason of Cyrene. Basically, if Maccabees 1 is pro-Chashmonai, Maccabees 2 is anti, Josephus is pro, but attacking the anti-crowd. A hundred and... Fifty years, no, two hundred years later than those other books were written. Um... Okay. what
1: was his concern to do, <coughs> as a
0: so-called historian uh, as a historian number one he wants to show which of the earlier books are more reliable as you know evidence of the past but also there is a personal uh, feeling of protecting the, uh, the legacy of, of, of his forebears from attacks Jewish attacks by those who would deny the, uh, uh, the greatness of, uh, of, of the Cheshmanai dynasty So, the story of Hanukkah is in 164. Josephus is writing in the year 90 of the Common Era, a long time later. But when are the books of Maccabees written? Okay, let's find out right now. So, they're written during the reign of Alexander Yanai. Alexander Yanai rules from 103 to 76 BCE. And we can be relatively sure that these books were written early in his reign, sometime between 103 and the year 90 before the Common Era. The The Hasmoneans always had opponents among the sinners, meaning the non, the, the heterodox Jews, the Onayids, whom they replaced as high priests, the Pietists, who preferred political quietism. So there are enemies of the Chashmonaim. Whether you thought the Chashmonaim were not religious enough, whether you thought they shouldn't be kings, whether you should, they thought they shouldn't be Kohanim, kohanim Gedolim, there are many reasons for Jews to object to, to that uh, uh, power structure. Okay, Some Pietists were like the Yankee fans of the 1990s, they were frontrunners. And they supported the Hashmonaim when the Hashmonaim were winning. But when the Hashmonaim were losing, all of a sudden they're rooting for the Red Sox. In other words, they they switch allegiances very quickly. Um, Later, many pietists and scribes supported Alcimus, Alcimus was the, the, the high priest between 162 and 159 who replaced Menelaus. He was an, a, 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 an assimilationist, a Hellenizer, and he was an enemy of the rabbis, of the proto-rabbis. So, sometime, some Hasidim, the, the, the pious people, went along with his rule because he had the authority of the kingdom behind him. And the, the Hasidim often believed that who is the legitimate high priest, whoever the king says is the high priest. Even if he's a Hellenizer, so be it. Okay? Now, some subversive people and the people at Acre opposed Jonathan. The Qumran sect also broke from Jonathan over issues of the calendar. Simon faced opposition from the from the Oneids and from the Pietists who thought he was a man of Blial, uh, basically uh, a curse word. Okay? So every Hasmonean leader had Jews who opposed them. Whether it's Judah, whether it's Jonathan, Simon, Harkness, down the line... There are always going to be Jewish opponents to the Chashmonaim. Okay. Now, 1st Maccabees doesn't concede how any good Jew could ever oppose the Chashmonaim. How can you p- oppose our wonderful leadership? Uh, the Chashmonaim are great. 2nd Maccabees doesn't see how a good Jew could not oppose the Chashmonaim. Uh, they're working from polar opposite ends. Uh, the rabbis began their opposition to the, to the Chashmonaim with the reign of John Harkonnis. What does it say in rabbinic literature about Yochanan Kohen Gadol? That Shmonim Shana, 80 years, he was the high priest, Ulu Basof, and in the end, Na'asa, he became a Tziduki, a Sadducee. So, forget about the historicity of that for a second. Just the, the, the plain meaning of the words. How old the man was he? Uh, he didn't, we'll see, he didn't rule for 80 years. But, uh, but Yochanan Kohen Gadol, John... The high priest rules for a long time, and in the end is a Sadducee, which means that he was a friend of the rabbis, of the proto-rabbis, the Pharisees, for a fairly lengthy period of time, but there's some kind of falling out late in his career. That's the, the rabbinical approach. According to Josephus, the, break, the, the breakdown in relations between the Pharisees and the Hasmonean sect happens um, after Hercules, in the days of Alexander Yanai. Why is there th- this historical disagreement between Josephus and the rabbis over when was this political break between the forerunners of rabbinic Judaism and the, 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 the leadership of the Cheshmonaim? Shouldn't we know when this happened? Shouldn't there be like a, an exact date when uh, uh, you know, the rabbis have a, a big fight and, and move away from, from uh, the, the Maccabees? So wh- why don't we know with any certainty? A few reasons. Number one, like I said, Yemach Shemov Vzichroh. These things were taken literally. Things were deleted from the past. Names disappear from the historical record because the writers of that historical record have an ideological opposition to whatever historical figure in question is being deleted. So that compromises our ability to reconstruct what happened. (coughs) Number two, the tradition of anonymity um, in polemical literature. A lot of times... Names, uh, uh, proper names, are left out on purpose, not just because of Yemach Shemovah Zichro Even the guys on your side don't have their names listed, because people don't matter. Ideas matter. The truth is, in rabbinic literature in general, this is true, uh, for the entire period predating um, Hillel and Shammai. How many names of rabbinical figures or proto-rabbinical figures are there for the pre-common era? Very, very few. Even, if, even in the, the late second temple period before we get to the period of the rabbis and, and Yohanam and Zakkai how many uh, names are there of early figures in the Mishnah? very very few so who were these people who preserved the tradition? we don't know their names because their names don't matter what matters is the idea that they're perpetuating not their personality okay and lastly we have a problem that many people had similar names there aren't that many pro- uh, you know, common first names in late Second Temple period. How many Johns were there? John meaning J-O-H-N, Yochanan. How many Shimon's were there? How many uh, Ye- 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 Yehudas were there? A lot. So is it this one or is it that one? Sometimes it's hard to know. <coughs> so that, that compromises our ability. Uh, or they had similar nicknames. Now the tradition says that Yohanan Kohen Gadol served for 80 years. But as Alan mentioned, how old was the guy when he died? 38. Uh, 38, okay. So, Truth be told, if you count the number of years from the time that Jonathan assumed the high priesthood in 152 until the death of, y- of Alexander Yanai in 76, what do you have? Roughly 80 years. So there was a period of roughly 80 years when you have an uncontested Hasmonean high priesthood. And it ended poorly with them being Sadducees. So that's... So the, the rabbinical so statement...
1: why
0: he
1: <coughs> It could have
0: been senility. No, it's not senility. It was early on in his tenure, and it's because of... uh, In a few weeks' time, we'll we'll discuss this at length. He did not like the pacifism of the Pharisees and their preference for study and uh, a, a quiet political approach. He was a military figure. He was a warrior. He liked to conquer territory. The Sadducees were sort of the uh, the country squires, the the, the, the nationalistic zealots. They, they, that fit his profile a lot more smoothly than did the Prushim. Also, some Pharisees contested his right to the kingdom and to the high priesthood. High priesthood on the grounds that his mother was taken captive during the persecutions and therefore he was an illegitimate Kohen, because uh, that'll do it. Or that he shouldn't hold the office of king because maybe uh, the priestly class has no business controlling uh, temporal authority, that the the tribe of Judah is supposed to have the kingdom. All sorts of criticisms of Yanai can be thrown around. Or that he was disrespectful to the oral law, like the story of um, them pelting him with Esrogim in the temple. Now, whether that story really ever happened or it's confused with another story, we'll have to address that in, in a later lecture. But there are many reasons why Alexander Yanai who was a, basically a cutthroat uh, king was despised by the, the peace-loving uh, Torah scholars.
1: When you're talking about the <coughs> Achaemenids, can you <coughs> make a comparison between the number of kings and during the time of Darius and the, and the Persians where there was no historical record? They have four kings uh, there may have been 15 to 20, could we say, in this 80 year? No,
0: no, be, no. because we know exactly who was in charge and when. We can say with precision that Jonathan was 153 to 142 and Simon was 142 to 135 and, 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 and John Hercules was 135 to 104, Aristobulus, Philhellene 104 to 103 and then he dies and then Yanni 103 to 76 followed by his wife, Salome Alexandra 76 to 67 and then you have the civil war between Hercules and Aristobulus that leads to the conquest by Rome and Pompeii. So we know exactly the year that each Hasmonean monarch ruled no doubt about it
1: are these all Jewish <laughs> records or some of them are elsewhere all,
0: Ju- all Jewish records if you include Josephus as a Jewish record okay now so why, what
1: about that's huh the story of Judith is in there
0: too Judith is his own book oh it's his own book uh, and uh, when that happened it's hard to say I mean it's a, it's a legendary tale so we don't know okay um, now <coughs> so the, fir- the first Has- Hasmoneans to oppose the Pharisees and join the, Saris- the-, the Sadducees was Yanai the names of, on- of the Oneids and Menelaus are noticeably missing from first Maccabees like I said just like Matityahu is missing from second Maccabees upon Matityahu's death on his deathbed he made an, uh, an, an appointment of Simon as the leader of the people now that might come as a bit of a surprise <laughs> Because who do we normally think led the, the Jews after was death? Yehuda. Yehuda. So, 1st Maccabees claims that Matityahu appointed Simon as the counselor, as the, the intellectual leader, and Judah as the military man. Sort of a split uh, leadership. That probably is uh, fictional. That probably never happened. It's propaganda. Because what is the author of Maccabees trying to do? Trying to ju- legitimize the fact that of all the five Hasmonean brothers, who was the last one to survive? Simon. And whose son became the successor? Simon's son, John Hyrcanus. And his, his, Hyrcanus's son, in turn, Yonai became the king. So it wasn't Judah's son and Judah's grandson and Judah's great-grandson who are the leaders of the people. It's Simon's progeny. Therefore, the author... Retrojects to eighty years earlier a, a claim that on Matityahu's deathbed he said, "Well, it's really Shimon who's going to who's going to run this family." Probably never happened. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the evidence suggests that First Maccabees was written slightly before Second Maccabees, and that the author of Second Maccabees had seen. Uh, 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 probably had seen a copy of 1st Maccabees and was writing his, his book as a direct challenge to that of his uh, literary competitor. We don't know for sure that he saw the 1st Maccabees, but at least uh, in terms of ideas, they were at oppo- opposite ends <coughs> of the political spectrum and are fighting each other with words and with, uh, with books rather than swords. Okay, now let's go to the story of Mattityahu. According to the, to the Book of Maccabees, Matityahu was originally from Jerusalem, from the clan of Yehoi and then he moved to Modi'in because of the persecution, because of the uh, anti-Judaic persecutions. Uh, Greek soldiers arrive at Modi'in and want him as a local leader to offer the first sacrifice of a pig on the bama, not on the altar, the high place. Matityahu refuses, he kills the renegade Jew who's willing to offer the pig, and he kills the Greek officer, and he tears, out, tears down the altar. And then he says, Mila except that it's not really Mila La it's uh, whoever is for Torah and for covenant, La Torah O Eli, come to me. Okay, the, um, the pietists went to the desert, but were attacked on Shabbos and were all killed. Matityahu rules, you can fight a defensive war on Shabbos, and all of a sudden, many pietists join him in the fight. They uh, smite the sinners, they destroy altars, and they forcibly give, uh, give bris to babies who were not circumcised. Okay, <coughs> now, Matityahu flees Modi'in because it was too easily accessible from the regional capital of Lod. Um, and he doesn't want to have, to have too many encounters with further detachments of Syrian Greek soldiers. He flees to the mountains bordering Samaria, basically goes to the north and to the east. Um, some Pietists object to Matityahu and his Shabbos ruling, um, and therefore the second book of Maccabees has the the Hasidim, the Pietists, joining up with Judah in fighting the uh, the Seleucids, not ju- joining with Matityahu. Um, some would argue that Matityahu's family originally came from Modi'in. Not from Jerusalem, and that the author of 1 Maccabees makes up the idea that they left Jerusalem to go to Modiin to be in an out-of-the-way place just to conceal the fact that they really were from a low-level tro- a low-level clan of Kohanim that had no yichus whatsoever. By claiming they were from Yerushalayim, that's already yichus. So uh, there's a lot of uh, you know minor detail in Maccabees that may be fictional, but designed to make them look good.
1: But if the Hanukkah story happened, yeah. It yes that's all forgotten the next day
0: I no it's not all forgotten the next day it's very important and it's why even and
1: why all this that's not
0: what it sounds what <coughs> well, fighting and bickering with who there's always infighting change. there's always infighting but <laughs> the point is that until there's complete independence of from Seleucid rule in 142 there's a whole generation of, of, of war. The, the, the Hanukkah to the, the rededication of the Temple, is just one aspect in a broader revolution uh, towards independence. And at every, st- uh, so at every step along the way, uh, a, a good Jew who's not particularly uh, zealous for the cause of nationalism might say, well, we've accomplished enough, we've achieved enough, let's stop fighting and just uh, grab onto our gains and hold them. The Hasmonean approach was, no, let's keep fighting until we've won completely. So the Hasidim, some of them, as we'll see next week in 162, throw in the towel. They say, you know, as long as, as, as the Seleucids have, have done away with anti, anti-religious persecution, we're fine with that. Like the Nature carta, As long as we can keep our, our religion, if, as long as you don't bother us with Shmir, Shabbos, and kashrus, we don't care if there's a state of Israel. That's, that, there's, there's an attitude that exists. Okay. <coughs> well, in 166, after Matityahu has his uh, farewell, his deathbed farewell... Judas takes over and leads an expedition against Apollonius and Ciron who are local uh, commanders, sort of technical, tactical commanders. And Judas is a guerrilla fighter, and he has no ability to approach Jerusalem. So in 166, there is no thought whatsoever of attacking Yerushalayim and the fortified positions there and trying to conquer the temple. All Judas can do is try to impose Torah on the countryside, by killing off, you know, I- uh, isolated bands of Seleucid soldiers, and forcibly making the uh, the Jews keep the mitzvot, get rid of the the bamot, destroy the bamot, uh, get rid of the pork, and you know, uh, give a forcible bris to the babies. Okay, the king has to go east to uh, conquer per- uh, Persian provinces in order to collect tribute, in order to pay for. Um, his war to subdue the Judean Rebellion. And if you believe that, I could sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Because the Judean Rebellion was seen as a very minor nuisance. All right, yes, Judas was able to defeat some local commanders, but was he really all that powerful? No. But the book of Maccabees says that Antiochus IV had to go all the way to, the, to Persia, to the east, to collect tribute, tax money to, to fund his war against the Judeans. That's simply embellished. and uh, That's not true. But the author of Maccabees, who sees cosmic significance to the Judean rebellion, says that you know, they had to raise such revenue uh, in order to fight the Jews. You can understand how this is uh, aggrandizing the role that, uh, that the, the Jews played in the history of the world. Okay. Um, but in fact, Antiochus did go to the east. Why did he go to the east? Well, to conquer more territory... and to, ex- to extract more tribute... having nothing... or nothing to do... with what was happening in the West... Um, in, in the Judean provinces... so... he leaves his... Uh, his uh, general... Lysias... behind... to serve as a regent... for his son Antiochus V... Lysias... Uh, sent an army... to Judea... to destroy Israel... and... 1st Maccabees makes it seem... like... Uh, the, the... the intention... was to wipe out... the Judean population like Haman in the Purim story, that this is not about religion anymore, this is about genocide. Was it really? It's hard to know. But that's what Maccabees 1 portrays it as, that this was a genocidal aim of, uh, of the Seleucids, having been annoyed, so thoroughly annoyed, by the, by the Maccabean uprising. <coughs> now, Judas was weak, and was beatable, by lesser military units. So, Nicanor and Gorgias are sent, with a fairly substantial army, to defeat Judas. Uh, Maccabees 1 claims that there were 40,000 infantrymen and 7,000 cavalry sent with Nicanor to destroy the Jews. That's a very inflated number. There's no way it was that high. Because when the Jews win, they they slay 3,000 Syrian soldiers. In ancient wars... If you win, and you rout the enemy, you don't kill 3 out of 40 of, of the opponent's uh, forces. You killed a lot more than that. So if there were 3,000 dead, there weren't 47,000 soldiers to begin with. There were probably less than 10,000. Okay. Um, so Judas goes with his forces to Mitzpah, where he, play, where he prays to God for help in recovering the temple. Now, on his mind, is recovering the temple. His sights are set a little bit higher. Gorgias, uh, with help from, from the Jews at Accra, tries to surprise Judah and wipe him out at night. so there's a surprise raid at night, but Judah finds out he has good intelligence. Uh, there were spies in the other camp, and he leaves the camp early, so that the raiding party from the, from the Syrian raiding party finds no one in the Judean camp. Judah attacks the, the, the heathens at Hamat and, uh, and wins despite inferior numbers, and he wins a great victory. Before this battle, according to Maccabees 1, something very interesting happens. Judah opened up the Torah, opened up a scroll of the Torah, (coughs) and uh, looked at certain passages, certain verses. What did he he look at? Let's see how uh, Anchor Bible translates it. They spread open the scroll of the Torah at the passages where the Gentiles sought to find analogies to their idols. I'll read it again. They spread open the scroll of the Torah at the passages where the Gentiles sought to find analogies to their idols. Remember, what religion did Antiochus try to impose upon the Jews? We spoke about this last week. It was a, a Judaic-style religion that looked back to the Bible for alternative practices that would, by our standards be considered forbidden, like the Bamot, the Matzevot, the eating of pork, non-circumcision, Tzvah Hashamayim, the consort deities, the polytheism of the First Temple Period, all the stuff that we would say is wrong, but that our, some of our ancestors were guilty of doing... Antiochus said, no, that's the real religion of Israel, and now I'm going to oppose it upon you. Okay? He had a basis in the Torah for some of these claims. So, for example, for example...
1: Not the
0: justification for these claims. Well, Antiochus would say that. So, oh, yeah, so, so now, Judah opens up the Torah and explains these psukim in the Jewish way, not the Goyish way. So, for example, Bereshit chapter uh, 1... Verse 26-27. In the image of God, male and female. So, in the image of God, male and female. What could you argue from that verse? Consulate. That there's a consort deity. Okay, the, yashayra, the 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 Sort of the wife of God. Alright, how do we interpret it? That God made man, but man, male and female sort of together, Adam and Chava, were not separated at first. Okay, then we have the multiple expressions of God's name in the passages relating to Avraham. Where you have the Aleph Dalid name of, of Hashem, you have the Tetragrammaton name, you have Elohim. So multiple names, multiple deities. Also, the Aleph Dalid name of, of God sounds a lot like Adonis. Adonis, Adonis the Greek word Adonis. Okay, um, three men appear to Avraham Shloshan malav, Vayera. Who are these men? By our by our own account, they were angels. They were they were semi divine beings. All right, three gods. What else? There are korbanot offered in connection with Ma'mad Har Sinai. What does that prove? You don't have to be at Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, or. In the, in the book of Joshua, what do we find? That Chavot surim? What are Chavot Sharp rocks. What do you use a sharp rock to do? Circumcise people. Why do you have to circumcise people in the, book for, in the first chapters of Joshua? Because for the 40 years of the wilderness, they didn't do mila. So what would the, the Antiochians claim? That Brismila is not an indigenous part of Judaism. What would the Jews say? That in the desert you couldn't give circumcision because it's a dangerous time, we're traveling, you can't give a surgery. So the, the, the Jews have good explanations that we learn in Cheder, and Yeshiva, for all these passages, and they're essentially non-controversial passages. But you could understand why a, a Greek king looking to subvert Judaism and create some sort of faux Judaism could use those verses for nefarious purposes so what does Judah do? before the battle he makes sure that his soldiers know what they're fighting for he wants them to know that the imposed cult that Antiochus is r- ramming down our throats and cl- calling Judaism is in fact not Judaism that's not our religion the religion is what we what I'm going to explain to you that the Torah means okay
1: Conditions in general, the leader of the country explained the rationale, his people verbalized, like you just mentioned it now, and that's very—I never heard.
0: If, if you watch the movie Operation Thunderbolt Yehoram Gaon yeah. um, before they get on the plane to go to Uganda to Entebbe he says to them uh, I would say it in Hebrew if I could say it good but he says I know you boys don't like to hear Zionism but, l- but let me give you abyssal Zionism we're going to go to save these people because they were attacked because they're Jewish so sometimes you have
1: I'm not
0: questioning uh, you know, the strategy I'm saying where else in the Bible you don't you have the, the the priest anointed for war who's supposed to rouse the people with Shema Yisrael Hear, hero O oh Israel. So you give people a good religious national, you know, a good datilu me message before you go out to war. That's what Ye- Yehuda Maccabee did. But didn't
1: the king also have a sacred Torah? Or yes,
0: yes, and he so was supposed to, he, and he was supposed to lead the charge, although oftentimes they didn't. V'hamalach uh, <laughs> David Yeah. <coughs> well, in, in the book of, of, of Joshua and the book of Shoftim, we find that they did use the, 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 uh, the Ark for those purposes. But uh, sometimes it backfires. If you lose the Ark, then you really had a luck. <laughs> so, all right, let's see what happens next. There's a great victory at Mitzpah. And um, when, when, they are t- when the Jews are trapped between the, the forces of Gorgias and Nicanor, Judah appeals to them to the precedent of the Israelites at the Red Sea, that they are trapped between a rock and a hard place, but they can make it out alive. And they did. So that impressed people, and Judah won tremendous fame and, um, you know, uh, glory for this victory. Uh, the... Um, This was commemorated on the 24th of Av with a half-holiday annually when the Jews could return to observing the law because now there were no heathens preventing the the Jews of the countryside from keeping the mitzvot. There's nothing stopping them. So at this point, Lysias decides to himself take a large army to fight Judah and in the winter of 164, Lysias goes and loses badly despite having superior numbers. The battle was in the south at Beit Sur, The Seleucid authorities could not tolerate a successful revolt so close to the Ptolemaic border with Egypt, especially while while the king was off in the east. So it was very important to them to defeat this rebellion. They really didn't want a rebellion in a border province. But they couldn't defeat it. Judas kept winning. Now why did they attack from the south? the answer, it was in the winter and they want to avoid the winter rains it's a lot more pleasant to come from the Negev where it's dry than to come from the north or from the east where they're going to be stuck in the mud so it was a strategic thing to come from the south okay, now not, uh, so long as Lysias thought he could win easily he didn't listen to Menelaus Menelaus was the, was the Hellenistic high priest who was still high priest, despite all the, what was going on in the persecution of Judaism, he still held the office. But he was marginalized because he was basically a loser. Every time that they tried to prop him up, he failed. So while Lysias thought he was going to win, Menelaus is a nobody, I don't have to listen to him. But after, Menelaus, after Lysias was repulsed and defeated, so he listened to Menelaus's overtures for an end to the persecution. And um, for basically a, 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 a ceasefire uh, uh, because of the stalemate. And this is celebrated on the 28th of Adar as a half-holiday. Most Jews accepted the deal, that no more religious persecution, but continued Seleucid domination of the country. The Judas and the Hasmoneans rejected this deal and vowed to fight on. The author of 1 Maccabees purposely leaves out the positive role played by Menelaus, because Menelaus is an evil high priest. So we don't want to know that he brokered a decent deal, besides which the deal was rejected. Uh, Judas goes to Mount Zion and restores the damaged and defiled holy temple. He makes a new altar from uncut stones. He puts away the stones the, the old altar in storage until an oracle will tell him what to do with it because they were defiled. He makes a new menorah and he bring, be, begins offering sacrifices on the 25th of Kislev, the anniversary of the defilement. And he establishes an eight-day holiday. But, in the eight minutes we have left, we have to answer the most important question of them all. We're going to get to it. If We might run a few minutes late tonight. If, on the 28th of Adar, Lysias was defeated, and there are no heathen armies stopping Judah from ascending the mountains into Jerusalem and cleansing the temple, why is it not until the 25th of Kislev that we have the so-called Hanukkah? Adar is in March, 28th Adar. 20, Twenty-five kiss slave. We're talking months and months later. Eight, nine, nine, nine months later.
1: I think he had to probably <coughs> with the pagan holidays. Or okay, so let's look the oil.
0: let's see what's happening here. Okay, the answer is that not all the prophecies of destruction had yet to be fulfilled in the Book of Daniel, in the Testament of Moses, in the, in, which is in the Apocrypha, uh, the various other uh, Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs there were many prophecies that were running around in the Judean society that called for cataclysmic events that hadn't happened yet. And so, one of them, one of the the theories was that God himself will eliminate the abomination of the, in the temple, and God Himself will destroy all the idols, and God Himself will rebuild the temple. We have this notion in, in, in the Jewish tradition today, that how will the third Beit HaMikdash be, be, be built? It will come down from the heavens in a fire. Okay? So they had that, they had that notion. Well, if all these prophecies, or most of the prophecies have not yet been fulfilled, and some of them involve major overt miracles, then maybe... It's not the uh, the right thing to do for man to come to Jerusalem and cleanse the temple and act in the place of God. So here Judah is worried, maybe I shouldn't be Theodore Herzl or David Ben Gurion, because who's right? The the, the the Satmar are right. That that God on his, his own time is gonna figure this all out. So we'll take what we'll, we no, it's good that we beat the Goyim, but as for the temple, we'll we'll take it slow. We know the Torah said, we don't know, how Hashem, we don't know how, how Hashem does his calculations, but if you have prophecies that are reasonably specific, then let it let them play themselves out. So, okay, no, but the tradition said that the salvation would come in the sabbatical year, in the Shemitah year, and as it so happened, the Shemitah year began in the fall of 164 BCE. So, if they wait another six months, they'll get to the end game. So let's wait a few more months and maybe we'll see some really great stuff is going to happen. Divine salvation with the hand of God being blatantly, clearly visible. So they wait and they wait and they wait. They wait until Rosh Hashanah. But when does the year actually begin? When is Rosh Hashanah? It depends. So Aleph Tishrei is what we call Rosh Hashanah. What does the Bible call Rosh Hashanah? Yom Kippur. In the book of Yecheskel, the only time it ever says Rosh Hashanah in the Bible, that's referring to Yom Kippur others say Sukkot why? because Sukkot is the Rosh Hashanah Lamayim uh, uh, for, for the judgment of water so we're waiting till after the holidays but there's a problem the holidays fell out in the summer how does that happen? no leap year, exactly 167 and 165 were supp- uh, 164 were supposed to be leap years but you can't intercalate the year unless the centralized authorities of Judaism are functioning in Jerusalem, which they weren't. Therefore, the calendar fell in arrears. And uh, the month of Tishrei was basically when the month of Av would have been. So we're two months early. We're in the summer and the, and the Chagim are happening. Sounds like Ramadan. The the exactly. The Ramadan, exactly. Ramadan. exactly. Exactly. It goes around and around. So because of this, at Aleph Tishrei, uh, Judah Maccabee, who probably didn't believe in, in all the prophecies, uh, because a lot of these prophecies would turn out to be wrong, and, and he was no fool, uh, but he was concerned for the the, the, the real serious believers in among his, his ranks, when it came to Aleph Tishrei, he was hesitant to initiate the, cult, the, the, the old, uh, cult of the Torah again with the Korbanot, because maybe it's not really Shemitah year yet, since it's only the summertime. Maybe it's you know, by, the, by the corrected calendar, we would still be in the previous year, so he he destroys the the abomination of desolation, the shikutz mishomaim, on the first of of Tishrei, which is in the summertime, but he doesn't initiate any uh, any sacrificial services. He waits until Kislev, which would have been Tishrei, um, and to, um, <coughs> uh, what happens next? The on the 20 se- on, in the middle of the month of, of of Tishrei he decides to get rid of the altar and replace it with a new altar but again no sacrifices because maybe it's not yet time for that the first sacrifices are meal offerings on the 27th of Cheshvan he's not yet ready to offer animal sacrifices because that he's holding out till the latest possible time when we know for sure with absolute certainty that the prophecies are not going to be fulfilled, that they're false prophecies. So he, so he, he destroys the shikuts, the idol, he gets rid of the altar, then he gets rid of the latticework which was for sexual uh, promiscuity in the temple, then he offers meal offerings and finally, finally, finally he's ready to offer animal sacrifices on the 25th of Kislev. Now, why the 25th of Kislev? So the answer to that is because... The 25th of Kislev was the third anniversary of the beginning of the monthly pagan offerings under the rule of Antiochus. Remember I said that, that the, the Korban Tamid every day uh, was not something that the, the the Greeks agreed to. They had monthly sacrifices. Well, their monthly offering was on the pagan holiday of the 25th of December, or the, 20, or the 25th of Kislev, whatever it might be. So, uh, so Judas sees some beauty, like a midah, like a good uh, a slap in the face, to the goyim, by having our holiday, of rededication, on the anniversary, of the desecration, that happened three years earlier, what he does is, observe the festival, of Sukkot, in the month, of Kislev, which really would have been, the month of Tishrei, according to the corrected calendar, and then, when the holiday is over, and he knows the prophecies, aren't happening, there are two days, the 23rd and 24th, of getting ready, for this big grand celebration and then an eight day dedication of the temple starting on the 25th why eight days? to correspond to the eight days of the Miluim in the days of Moshe Rabenu, and also in the days of Chizkiyahu and in the days of Zerubbabel where the temple was dedicated for an eight day stretch he also was looking back to the days of Shlomo in the days of Shlomo it was a 14 day dedication seven of which were Sukkot and seven were the days preceding Sukkot So you have a notion of connecting the Chanukah Tabayit with the holiday of Sukkot. He does the same thing. So the choice of 25 Kislev is intentional, okay? There's this long delay waiting for the prophecies to either happen or not happen. There's the two-month delay because of the the, the, the improperly intercalated year. And then there's the observance of the Chagim. And then there's the connection between the the desecration and the rededication and the connection between Sukkot or the, the... uh, the second version of Sukkot and the holiday of rededication. What is the name of the holiday? That's the big question. So, according to first book of Maccabees, the name of the holiday is Chanukah. According to second book of Maccabees, it is Yemei Sukkot bechorosh kislev. What's the problem with the hol- with, a, with a name like Yemei Sukkot bechorosh kislev? It's, still it's you not kislev. Okay, so it's historically accurate except that it's historically accurate only because of an error or a problem that happened back then. When Sukkot is supposed to be in Tishrei. So it sounds like an illegitimate holiday. But bear in mind, the author of 2 Maccabees wants to declare illegitimate the entire Hasmonean reign and their holiday of Hanukkah. So what do you do? You declare that the name of the holiday is a treif holiday. Who in the Bible established a holiday or rather at least one time observed a holiday of Sukkot in the wrong month where's Shoshana? she's not here tonight she would know the answer to this so Yeravam ben Nevat the first Israelite northern king he observed Sukkot in the Chodesh Hashmini not the Chodesh Hashvi'i why did he do it? Because when he made golden calves at Badel and Dan as, a, as, a, as an alternative to the worshipping in Jerusalem because he was against the southern kingdom so he had to make his own holiday. But he made a Sukkot holiday in, a, in the later month. That's wrong. It's illegitimate. It's against the rules. So the author of 2 Maccabees is trying to show that like uh, Yeravim uh, ben Nevat who was an evil king and did wrong so too the Maccabees made a bogus holiday. That's, that's the, so if anyone ever tells you that uh, Hanukkah is 8 days because there's a connection to Sukkot and it appears in 2 Maccabees you should know that that was intended as a shtoch to the holiday not as a real support for the holiday it wasn't it, the connection to Sukkot was simply because in fact they observed the holiday 2 months late on account of calendrical problems uh, because of the persecution ok what about the, what about the uh, so everything was corrected eventually through the, the the imposition of, of additional months, connection the connection it, it was severed. Now Hanukkah is its own holiday, standalone in Chodesh Kislev. What about the story of the oil? So, the writers of Al Hanisin, um, the. Uh, the, the legend of the, of, of the cruise of oil, and uh, I'm not referring to Ted Cruz, you, you missed the debate. So, the cruise <laughs> of oil, that was the pun. pun, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's the pun. The legend of the story of, of, of the oil came about because Al-Hanisim doesn't in fact mention any overt miracles. I dare you to read the paragraph in the Siddur, whether you read it in the Hebrew or the English, it says, Al-Hanisim, Yalani Float. So I'm looking for a big miracle, you know, like a fire coming down from heaven or whatnot. Okay, whoa, whoa. So, what is supposed to happen when the mizbeach is consecrated? The Aish comes down from the Shamayim, okay, Book of VaYikra. That's what's supposed to happen. That was one of the miracles that the Hasmoneans were waiting for it to happen in the year 164, as they're postponing the inevitable, hoping against hope for some kind of miracle or some kind of fulfillment of prophecy. All right, but it didn't happen. They had to kindle the flame from, from flint rocks or from sticks, like uh, Boy Scouts, okay? There was no Esh B'Shamayim. Well, <coughs> so there was, if there was no overt miracle, then what is the miracle? The miracle is Rabim B'ad Me'atim, the, the, the few defeating the many. But, if you believe that if you believe that the Hasmoneans are the permanent saviors of Israel and that that kingdom is the kingdom of the Messiah and is going to last Arain Sof then fine the few in the hands of the many are really important and we're going to, and we're going to remember that forever as a great nace but once the Hasmoneans become corrupt and lose and are defeated by the Romans who cares about then I need a new miracle I need a new nace so what do we do? look to the end of the paragraph the heiliku Neirot b'chatzot kod they lit candles in, your, in the courtyard of your temple. The menorah was not a major deal, not an important facet of the Hanukkah story from the beginning. But it becomes one because we need a, a, a successor nase to the fact that the Rabbim B'ad is no longer as important to us as it once was. So that's how the story of the Pach Shemin emerges. Yeah.
1: When did it emerge?
0: Big dispute. Some say around the time of Hillel and Shammai, and some say two hundred years later. I, I, I'm not going to make a guess. Well, it's in the Gemara, but the question is when was it when was it composed? Because if the if the Maati okay. <coughs> I, I agree. I agree with you. But when, when but when you're, when you're when you're trashing them for being religiously uh, uh, incorrect,
1: deficient, the tester, then,
0: then you need something else. Okay. So the last point for tonight is that um, the um, the connection between the the winter solstice and Hanukkah. There are those who would say that it's a pagan holiday. That's completely false. We have to reject that out of hand because, as we, as I said. Ha, the, the story of the Chanukah happened not in December, but in October, because of the, the months were two, two months early. And even when the temple was defiled, not when it was rededicated, that happened in October. Kislev was in October that year. But even when it was defiled in 167, the 25th of Kislev was on December 6th, very far removed from the winter solstice. So the lights and, and, and the notion of 25 and cult of Dionysus and Christmas, no connection whatsoever. We have to reject that out of hand. And with that, we'll stop for tonight.